we get a call we've now got an axe murderer in Finsbury Park yellow anorak mm. raincoat guys walking over towards us with an axe in his hand and he's dragging it along it's like a scene out of a horror film what sort of stuff did you recognise was happening around East London, North London at that time? Robbers, burglars, drug dealers. The South Tottenham is rife with crack. You get people going and stabbing people in the leg and the back. I've had kids die in my arms, man. Stuff like this happened all the time. This doesn't make the newspapers. Why did you leave the old bill? I stopped believing in it. You see it in the news now. How many people are being investigated? You've got people coming in that should never have been in the job. There is stuff that gets brushed under the carpet. There is. You know, some of the stuff that I've seen, you can only dream of. You've got kids dying in your arm, people dying in your arms. You know, you're trying to keep people alive. That's not just one off. That's happened so much. I look at the state of the Met now, very different. I personally blame more the government in this because... Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Suki Madahar is an ex-Met detective that discusses his time with the London police and how he's raided hundreds of crack houses. From axe murderers to knife crimes, he shares his thoughts on police corruption and the drug pandemic in this country. This is the eventful life of Mr. Suki Madahar. Suki, welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, really, uh, really looking forward to this one. It's a different one for us. So um, what I want to do is roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you end up becoming one of the top detectives in the drug squad in London? Well, I grew up in Hackney. So Hackney's East London. Uh, having um, sort of born and bred Dalston, Stoke Newton and what have you. So I went to school there, uh, lived with my parents and what have you. But then I also grew up on uh, the front line in Dalston. So again, it was just a case of living around that basic, you know, well, for me it was basics really, but for everyone else it was like, you know, it was drug saving yeah. and what have you. Criminals, villains, and that's it really. Yeah. Especially down the East End. Mum had a couple of uh, the shops in the, in the market and, you know, it was just a case of everyone that walked past you it was normal to me yeah you know but yeah just um spent 22 years in hackney grew up there family there you know before um i joined the police and then it was probably about a year after when i'm jumping on the bus to go to tottenham from hackney on the old 253 and i'm saying seeing people people looking at me i'm thinking i nicked you last week right and then i had to sort of think about moving out yeah so then that's uh so are we talking? Are we talking? You were growing up in the eighties, right? Yeah. What was life like in the eighties in Hackney? Hackney's a real tough part of East London, right? What was that feeling like growing up, going through school, and the naughtiness happening around there in the eighties, stroke nineties? Yeah, Hackney was uh, well. The way I see it, I loved it. Yeah. You know, I loved the way it was. But I didn't know any different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously, you meet people now when they talk about growing up in in other parts of London. You know, a little bit more posher. Whereas of us, it was it was just a case, Hackney's Hackney. You know, it was, you just had to learn to sort of look after yourself very, very early. Mm. You're at school. I remember there was two schools there. There was either Kingsland, which one I went to, or Hackney Downs. 
you went to Hackney Downs and that was it. You were done for, you know. <laughs> so it was always a case of hoping yeah. to get to Kingston. We got, you know, again, it was, it was a case of growing up and then having a choice. There was always a choice. There was a pathway you had to take. Now, well, I chose one pathway. Yeah. I know a lot of people that went the other way. Yeah. What made you choose that pathway where a high percentage might have chosen the other way to earn a quick pound note? Do you know what? See, I grew up with first generation Indians. Yeah. All right. So my my dad, my granddad, they would push me. They wanted to be me to be a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist or something, you know. But there was a part of me that was always going to be a little bit different to what they wanted. And um, you yeah, know, this one day I'll tell you actually how it happened. Uh, I got really, really drunk one day and I was at home and my dad was away. My mum and dad were away. And um, my sister came and woke me up. She goes, we've got a burglar downstairs. I think someone's in the house. So I remember undoing my dumbbells, walking downstairs. And as I walk downstairs, my alarm's going and I see this guy. He walks out of the living room. He's got uh, my VCR stroke new dvd player in his hand he's got the sky box spurs were playing that day and i just looked at him he looked at me and he just dropped it and for me it was just no mm. he's done it he's bolted i've chased him down and i've grabbed him in the um uh in the kitchen as he's trying to get out my sister had phoned the old bill and literally i was grappling with him in the um in the um uh, in the kitchen and um at which point i hear a big bang at the door and suddenly the old bill come running in. There's me with, you know, I've got a, uh, a I've got a, a dumbbell bar in my hand. I've got a guy just literally looks around. He jumps through. I don't know how he did it, but he jumped through the smallest window. And I've just literally dropped everything. They've just turned. I've just said, I live here. He's gone out the back. They've let the dogs out and they've caught him in the back. And it was just there. That one guy came and sat with me. And he goes, you're right. I goes, no, he broke my skybox. Because I was supposed to be watching a football. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it was all new then. Yeah, of course. You know, if you think about it. Yeah. You know, back then it was a commodity. Yeah. No one had that sort of Early thing. Early 90s. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Spurs were playing and I'm thinking, oh, I'll get to watch I'll get to watch a game live. Yeah. But it wasn't. And then he sat with me and he went, what, you mean that you actually were fighting with this guy for like three, four minutes? I went, yeah. And he went, have you ever thought about joining the police? And it just, he sort of like sowed a seed in my head, mm. you know. It was, it was just there. And then over over a, a period of a few weeks, it was like there were signs everywhere. I opened the paper up and it was like, join the police. Yeah, Do you know okay. what I mean? So yeah. I thought, why not give it a go? Now I was young, you know, I about 20 at the time. And I thought to myself, yeah, let's uh, let's see where this goes. And to be honest with you, I didn't tell my dad, mm. didn't tell my mum, because I knew the reaction that I'd get. Mm. They wouldn't want me to do it. Because then, then, you know, my dad used to tell me stories. He used to tell me that, you know, that every time he used to work, you get chased down, you know, police never done anything because we were Indians, they're racist and all this sort of stuff. Mm. That's what that, that's the sort of, inf you know, that's the information I was brought up on, yeah. you know, the sort of memories that were born, mm. you know, that were instilled in my brain. So as we, uh, as we were growing up, uh, that was it. You know, dad used to tell me he used to get chased by teddy boys all the time. Yeah. You know, he was like bullied by these people. Yeah. So I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to change it. So I applied and it took me a year to get in. And um, it was there when I got in, I think my dad was quite disappointed in me. He was disappointed in me? He was he? disappointed in me, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because okay. he was expecting me to be a scientist. I've just, you've got to remember, is that I've just finished college. I've got, um, 
I've got the equivalent of three A levels in um, in sciences, yeah. um, chemistry, physics, biology, maths. Mm. Uh, I went to university, sort of done it a couple of years. What uni were you at? Uh, North London. Okay. So I did uh, did that, and then I just couldn't go back because uh, couldn't get a grant. Okay. So I thought, you know, I weighed it all up, and I thought, what am I going to do? I got all my mates around there. You know, we meet up in uh, in the pub in Stoke Newton every Friday. Yeah. The Yakerton down in Stoke Newton, just just by the. Uh, by the uh, police station. Yeah. And all you ever heard was, you know what I mean? Oh, they're corrupt, they're corrupt, they're corrupt. Every time you see them, you know, always something bad to say. So I couldn't tell anyone, I couldn't tell anyone. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going into that world. Yeah. And yeah, so, you know, it was very young. Um, did you uh, get Did you get bullied growing up being half Indian? Were you half Indian? No, I'm full. I'm full yeah, Indian. Yeah. Did you get bullied growing up? No. no in no, school no, no, or anything? No. Was there any kind of racism growing up? No, you see... I didn't face any racism going growing up in Hackney. Why? It's because Hackney was such a multicultural yeah. area. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it was whites, it was black people, it was Asians, it was everyone. Mm. So we all sort of lived together. There was none of that, you know? There was never, you know, I grew up knowing that, you know, I had mates that were black, I had mates that were Indians. They would come into my house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We'll sit there, you know, remember boxing days, they'll come over, we'll just sit there, listen to music and what have you. Yeah. My um my mum's shop was next to uh, a reggae um, record shop, mm. so I grew up over on uh, soca and reggae and all that. We'd be playing the music, the vinyls and all yeah. that. So for us, it was it was just normal, yeah. you know. We didn't see people for what what the color, what you know, mm. for their color. We didn't see we just see people for whether you're an arsehole or you're not. Yeah, do you see what I mean? Yeah. And that's the way we grew up. That's nice. And you know, it was it was just it was just normal for us. It was normal. Yeah, Hackney was normal. Yeah, you know, people get stabbed, people get shot. It was normal yeah. for us. That's what it was. I used to get up in the morning. I used to go up and just. I used to live in Clapton. They called just up top of my road, Lower Clapton Road. They called Murder Mile. Yeah, well, I don't have to explain what yeah. they called it, Murder yeah. Mile. Yeah, but that was it. You know, I go to work in the mornings, and uh, you had the pubs up there. Yeah, two cops at the at the door. Everything, um, everything had been. Um, uh, cordoned off and whatever, something's happened, but that's part of life, and that it? was life, yeah. I agree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it wasn't for me, it wasn't any different. What was the feeling like when you had to tell your pals I'm going into the old bill? See, that was tough, that was quite tough because, in all honesty, like I said before, we were we we would be sitting on a uh, we'll be sitting in a pub on a Friday, and that's what it was for us. We'll go in the pub, have a few pints, play uh, play pool. That was it. All of us, about 10, 12 of us. There was family, there were friends. It was a, we had a really big crew that we used to just hang around there. And then suddenly, gone. No one wanted to speak to me. That was it. So I had to change my life. So I had to literally rebuild my life because none of my mates wanted to speak to me. My family were a little bit cold towards me because of what I was doing. And the reason being is obviously being from Stuck Newton, uh, well, being around Stone Newton, uh, you had all this, uh, you had all the stories about what happened at the police stations, at Stone Newton police station yeah. especially. So they would look at everyone being corrupt, you know, and whatever. I didn't see it like that because I didn't see it. See, for me, I need to see something happen. Mm, for your own yeah, mind. F- yeah. To make up my own yeah. mind. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's the way I've been mm. my whole life. Mm. And it was then, you know, when I joined the police, I literally had to, I had to sort of change my whole life. I changed, I changed friends, so my Friday nights are gone. So I had to rebuild my whole life, even even my social scene. Yeah, I didn't have one, and you know it was. And then being thrust into Tottenham, 
the it's age of the deep end in it as you're 20 odd 20 odd yeah yeah Jeez. so like you know you've gone in there and then suddenly you know the first time you walk out of the station I remember walking out we're on green lanes and I look into the uh, look into the window and there's me wearing a uniform and you think oh my god that's me you know I was like who's that cop looking at me well, it was me yeah. but again you know we had at top Tottenham I loved it at Tottenham Tottenham was brilliant um, it was just Again, multicultural. Yeah. Diversity, crime was crazy, violence, you know, it was all. And as a 20 year old, you know, going to Tottenham, I think the first time I tried to arrest someone, they tried to run me over. Mm. I remember trying to stop a car and the guy just drove at me and I had to jump out of the way. And I thought to myself, well, this is what I'm going to live yeah. for the next 30 years. Because that's what it was. We mm. signed a contract for 30 years. So this is what it's going to be like. But yeah, no, it's um, it was crazy. Can you so, remember what sort of money you were getting paid? Yeah, when I first well I went to Hendon, I was on like seven hundred quid a month, and then I came out of Hendon, I was on about nine fifty a month to a grand a month. <laughs> and roughly, what year is this? Uh, this is a uh, ninety-seven. Okay, so ninety-seven. That's what the sort of uh, the issue was uh, there. But again, you know, I had to sort of weigh it up. Okay, I had issues with the family, but. I was living my best life. Yeah. I was living the dream. I was living on the edge, as they say, mm. you know, when the adrenaline was kicking in every time and, you know, and it was, it was just, it was mental. We would, you, you never realise what evil is until you look at it in the eye. And that when you're looking at people and what they're doing at 20, 21 years old, that's when you start thinking to yourself, the life that I've lived is, is effectively being very sheltered, yeah. you know, until you start seeing that sort of stuff. What sort of stuff did you recognise was happening around East London, North London at that time? Well, East London was always like, there was there was three different things, right? You got the drugs, yeah. Uh, you got the you got the proper villains, you know. You're talking about uh, you're talking about the the proper East End gangsters, mm. okay? When I went to Tottenham, we had various different gangs. You had you know you had the gangs, the Yardies. You had the Turks from um, the Green Lanes. Mm. Uh, you had uh, you had burglars, uh, and you know what? It was just there was just so much, and it was different things. There was never really a map. The only wars that we actually came across were petty little things between a couple of dealers, yeah. you know. But seem they seemed to sort of stay within their own sort mm. of areas. Do you see what I mean? And like I, you know, my first year at Tottenham. Um, I remember I was in uniform and I, we got down to Green Lanes after there was a massive shootout. There's a drive-by and they'd literally driven driven down Green Lanes and they must have had, they were, you know, I'm not just talking knives, I'm talking guns, I'm talking everything. You know, I think uh, in the end, um, we had detectives from uh, specialist units come in. They found loads of stuff, you know, they found dungeons down there. They found everything, you know, People were being tortured down there and whatever. But this is the sort of world that I'd literally just entered, but not. Yeah. But in the other the other side of it, yeah. do you see what I mean? Mm. So I entered, I entered the world and I thought to myself, Jesus, you know, people actually do this to, to each other. But as, you know, as time went on, um, obviously growing into, growing into the role, you know, realising actually this is what I do for a living. You know, this is my job. You know, that's effectively why I joined, you know. Like I said, I go back to when I said I 
I've got a burglar here. But it was to sort of help people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to mm. help people. Mm. And at the same time, um, you know, it it put hair on my chest. Yeah. Is the best way to describe yeah. it. It actually it genuinely put hair on my chest. How does it how does it work then? Are you just booting around in a car, waiting for something to happen, waiting for a reaction, waiting for a call to come in and reacting straight away? Well, when I <laughs> when I first started, uh the people that I worked with were quite proactive. So they know they knew all the dealers. They knew. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they would introduce me to the proactive side of things, rather than being reactive and just sitting there waiting for for a call to come yeah. in. We'll be driving around. You know, you'll spot people. You know who people were, and straight away, it will be right. Stop this person, or we know where this per. We know you know what this person's up to, and what have you. You know, whether it was robbers, burglars, drug dealers. You know, what have you. But yeah, again, it was it was just everything. Mm. Dodge. It was mm. everything. You know, we had what we had at Tottenham. Um, but for us, it was normal. Yeah. You know, first two years at Tottenham, it was crazy. Mm. I remember turning up on a night duty. I, we get a call. We're around the corner to say there's been a gunshot on Jansen's Road in Tottenham. Mm. So I turn up, I'm first there. And I'm looking around and right there, right by my car, is a guy lying there with a hole in his head. So I'm like, oh shit. Mm. You know, what, what do we do there? Mm. I'm like 21 years old. So the guy with me at the time, my mate, he just turned around and went, he looks at it and he's, he's got a pulse. I didn't know then that, you know, they, even though the brain's gone, they still have a pulse. Yeah. And then everyone's out looking at us and everything like that. So I remember look, thinking, oh God, I've got, got to try and, try and help this guy, mm. you know, and I want to try and keep the guy alive. Even though he had a big gaping hole in his head, so <clears throat> just literally, uh, my mate was doing the compressions. I had actually found this mouth shield and I was blowing into the guy. And it got to the point that every time I was blowing, it was coming out of his head. Mm. Jesus. And yeah, it was just horrendous, you know? Mm. And and this is me, this is what, six months on the street? Mm. I was literally basically on the street for about six months. And then and this happened. Um, but yeah, again, it was just, that was stuff like this happened all the time. Mm. You don't hear it in the newspapers. It doesn't make the newspapers. You know, I remember coming back and uh, I was at Hendon that week because once you join, you do six months training. And then every three or four months, you go back and do uh, um, an extra week there, you know, just to top up on that learning and what have you, because you've got two year probation mm. period. Mm. Um, I get a call from my sergeant. Says you better come back. Why? Well, you better come back. That, mur that murder you dealt with, yeah, you better come back. So I went back there thinking, right, okay. Got there and uh, they said, well, one of the murder squads, um, they found a uh, they found a wallet. In the wallet, it said uh, that it had the guy's details in it and he had a card in there, gay men with AIDS. So you've been blown into this guy. He's got blood everywhere. We ne you need to shoot off to the hospital. So we, there's three of us there, or four of us there, ended up at the hospital uh, down at Northwick Park. So we're getting blood tests done. Now you don't no. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if? Do you know what I mean? But that was it. And again, you know, looking back on it, that was just a start. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That was just a start. Welcome. <laughs> but Jeez, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was, you know, we worked, we worked on, uh, we worked on criminals. You know, we're not talking about these days. These days you're talking about kids. Yeah. We're talking about, we're talking about adults. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, a hierarchy in that sort of world. 
yeah, these are these are the elders, as they mm. say. Mm. Yeah, these are the boys that might have been around when the Broadwater Farm Rights kicked off. They were still banging around. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? These are the ones that are running things around Tottenham. Mm. So we were dealing with them. Had to be very careful because, look, do you know what? They didn't care. Yeah. I mean, it's very easy for them to take one of us out. Yeah. So again, I think that for my family, that was very difficult. You know, because they knew they, you know, they've lived in Hackney for years. Yeah. They've seen what's happened and what have you. And then obviously I remember my dad saying, well, they killed that cop in Tottenham. Oh, uh, Keith Blakelock. Yeah. I said, yeah, but if we look at it, how many cops have died? Mm. You know, and we've got to sort of weigh it up. Uh, but yeah, he was, um, my dad was, got quite worried. And um, yeah, he was, uh, I would say for me, it wasn't worrying. I loved going out there. I loved sticking my uniform on. I love getting out in the street. I love getting amongst people. Yeah. It was never a time, and I've said this time, because people have asked me the question, in that sort of time, was anyone ever racist to you? I could turn around now and say, not once in my life as a, as a cop has anyone ever said anything who I work with, mm. anything that was derogatory yeah. or racist at all. Who you work with. Who I work with. What about the, some of the public? Oh, all the time. Okay. All the time. Give yeah. me give me an example of some of the public. The, obviously, you're working around some tough areas, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, really tough and rough back then. You must have been a target. They must have clocked you every time you're coming into the, the estate or the wagon turns up. There must have been that fear factor on you every time you're going into that. Well, being me, yeah. the way I looked, mm. I was a little bit different to all the other guys yeah. because... You know, predominantly in that sort of time, it was predominantly white male, yeah. wasn't it? You know, you're six foot white male sort of cop, and then you got this five foot nine, five foot ten inch Asian guy yeah. with a goatee. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was. I did stick out like a sore thumb sometimes, mm. but it wasn't with the people I worked with. Yeah, they treated me like one of their own. Yeah, I was. You know, that was my family. These are the people that were going to protect me. Yeah, but when I went out there, yeah. You know, I've had it all. Packy, go back to where you're from. I was like, I only live down the road in Hackney. Yeah. You know, and that's what it was. Yeah, okay. like people don't see that. Yeah. What people see is the color of your skin. Yeah. And yeah, I used to get a lot of that. And, but the thing is, is anytime somebody said that, I'd be with a, I would be with a colleague who's a white guy. Yeah. Arrest them for racially aggravated offenses. So you can arrest someone straight away for that? Yeah, it's racially yeah. aggravated offense. Okay. Yeah, 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 public order offense. Yeah. I never did it. Yeah. Yeah, look, you know, that's people are uneducated, didn't they? Yeah. So it was that was the case, and yeah, the first few years, I was um, yeah, I spent. I think it was about two years that I was uh, in uniform, and then um, I got an opportunity to uh, to sort of uh, go and have a go at uh, sort of the the crime squad, shall we say? Mm. And uh, it started off as a Operation Predator, Operation Eagle Eye. They used to have that in. Um, uh, in the late nineties, it was just targeting robbers okay. and burglars. Just bank robbers. Mean? Nah, any these type are, of these are, these are just ro these. A lot of these were street robbers. Street, okay. Violent street robbers. Mm. So we'd actually identified who these guys were, and we had a load of targets. It was just a case of just taking them off the streets, building cases up against them. Yeah, yeah getting the evidence, building cases up. Let's take these guys off the streets because what were they doing? They were causing nothing but mayhem out there. Yeah. You know, there was people out there that walking down the street, they get jumped, four or five people, yeah? We'll jump them, they'll beat them, take 
what, for what, a phone, yeah. a bag. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make a difference if somebody just handed it over to them. They will still lash out at these yeah. people. Why? Because it was a way of, you know, I don't know, it was a power thing, wasn't yeah. it? So, yeah, I went on that and then um, I stayed on the drug squad. Uh, sorry, not the drug squad, on the crime squad at the time. And that was around 2000. Mm. So I was on the, um, I was on the, uh, I was on the old um, uh, crime squad. And, you know, again, when I talk about evil, you know, what people don't get, people don't get what we see. All people get is that two minute or 10 second clip they yeah. see on Twitter. Yeah. They don't see what happens yeah. and how that's actually, you know, come about. So yeah, we had um, we had so much of that where suddenly phones are starting to come out. Mm. Yeah. And people are starting to, you know, do recordings and everything else. And it was, it was just getting, it was getting crazy. You had to be very careful mm. in what you can say and what you can do. Not that we were doing anything wrong. Mm. But at the same time, now people are starting to record stuff. And, and Did it become harder and harder to be a copper on the street and become a detective with everything going on? Like you say, with social media, people filming, twisting the story. Yeah, it's always, to be honest with you, it's always been hard. Yeah. Because of the perception. You can't change that perception. But that perception must have got changed in some era, some decade, because my old man always talks about when he grew up, the cop would give you a whack round of chops and you'd carry on and you'd have respect. When did that respect start to get lost? When I was young, yeah, I wouldn't dare say anything back to a copper. Same, yeah, yeah. When I was walking, I remember walking yeah. home from school. I dropped a crunchy packet. Mm. Guy, I just pick had a tap on my thing. Yeah, turn around, pick it pick up. up. Yeah, yeah. All right, sir. Yeah, that changed. That changed as you got into the nineties, late nineties. Okay. okay, things start changing. People start mouthing off a little bit more. Yeah, you know, and it became very difficult. But yeah, no, it's just, um, and I think it was that sort of time where you had like. Those youngsters, that's where, you know, you started to get more and more stabbings. Mm. You had people trying to, uh, trying to, inf well, they were trying to make their way up a ladder in a gang. Yeah. What does that mean? Initiation. So you get loads of stabbings. You get people going and stabbing people in the leg and the back, backside. Yeah. I've had kids die in my arms, man. Do you know what I mean? Why? Because somebody wanted to, you know, take the next step up. Yeah. Yeah. Soldiers, as they yeah. call themselves. Yeah, and this is it. You sit there, you walk back to the police station, you're covered in, covered in blood. You know, this one time mum was, uh, I remember this was like happened yesterday. I'll, we were around the uh, the Wood Green area. We just amalgamated. So we went from being Tottenham to being Harringay. Yeah. So we've just, and I, we, I was with a couple of, uh, couple of my mates and uh, we were on the same team on the crime squad. And uh, we get a call. Well, we get a call on the radio. And we personally, but a call comes out on the radio saying that uh, there's been a stabbing. So I said, well, we're around the corner. And being an ex-uniform cop, I sort of knew it like a back of my hand. Mm -hmm. I knew all the little rat runs and do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And as we're going over there, I remember saying to uh, Toby, who's my driver, so don't go that way, go this way. Mm he -hmm. will come out this way. And literally, as we've gone around that corner, yeah, we've seen the guy lying there and, you know, so the boys sort of jump out. I turn around and I see in the distance somebody running, sort of matches description. So I just literally bolted after him. Now I know, look, the guy that's been stabbed, turns out he was an off-duty fireman, but he'd been stabbed. Mm. So I'm tearing off after this guy. He's running towards the train station. I thought if he gets in the train station, he's gone. Mm. 
Yeah, don't know who he is. Mm. Did a thing. Chased him down and I actually grabbed him just as he got to the barriers. And I remember grabbing him, basically telling him I'm old Bill. I could see he's got two handles sticking out of his um out of his pockets. So I remember dragging him up. He's I ain't going. I goes, you are coming. And I remember dragging him upstairs. And then we had a full-blown street fight. It yeah. was a street fight outside Turnpike Lane Station. Yeah. I wasn't just fighting this guy. You know, I was fighting for my life. But not only that, we had a massive crowd. And the crowd obviously thought, I'm the bad guy here, yeah. not realizing what had happened. But this guy's trying to get into his knives. Now he's got a meat cleaver in one hand, in one arm, uh, in one hand, and he's got a massive, must have been about 12, 12 to 14 inch knife in the other. And you can see the blood in his jacket. So I've got hold of him and I'm not letting him go. Mm. If I let him go, I'm dead, yeah. you know? And it was probably the longest four or five minutes of my life. But it wasn't just that. It's just that you had little old women that were getting involved telling me to leave him alone. I had, a, I had a can of beans thrown at me. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, when you're, your chemical cocktails mm. go all over, all over the place and uh, your adrenaline's going and you're literally trying to hold this guy down, thinking to yourself, look, this guy, he's just stabbed someone. Mm. I didn't know the extent of what had actually really happened at the time. And then suddenly in the distance, I could see my mate running towards me and I'm thinking, thank God. Hurry up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mate, if you've ever, you know, someone who's, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever done any martial arts or anything like that. You know, I used to box. Mm. But three minutes in a ring yeah. is a long time. Oh, it's a long time, yeah. Yeah? Three minutes street fight is a long time. <laughs> and then not just that. Yeah. When this guy's trying to get yeah. to his knife. Yeah. It was it was absolutely crazy, and um, you know, luckily my mate turned up. He's jumped over the barriers because I've got this guy literally over a barrier. This is the only way I could secure him, you know. And you know, I had to fight for my life. Mm. And then my mate's jumped over. He's grabbed the other arm and he goes, "Don't let go. He's got a knife." I went, <laughs> "Really? No shit." <laughs> yeah. So we didn't. I didn't have any cuffs on me. I had I had nothing. What would you carry on you normally? Uh, we'll have a, one of the extended batons and asp they used to call it. Yeah. Uh, I see a spray, uh, handcuffs, and effectively that's it. Yeah, and a radio. And I left my. Uh, I just literally jumped out the car. Bolted. I left everything yeah, okay. in the car. So didn't, I couldn't have handcuffed the guy. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. And it turns out that you know this guy, he'd only just come out of uh, he'd only just come out of prison. Mm. He'd been in there for rape. He come out and. Uh, the victim at the time was just sitting in the car and um, he come over and hit the guy's car mm. opened the door because the victim asked him what he's doing and uh, stabbed him in front of his uh, little daughter wow. yeah, yeah but that's the sort of life that we're you know that for us was normal yeah you know so for, some, for something like that though that fella there you've clobbered da, 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 got him nicked what would he would he get put away for that yeah, yeah. What did he but get? The, Do you know what he got for that? Yeah, I know exactly what he got yeah. for it. Because he went in and, again, you got to talk about what their intentions are. You know, it's very difficult. When you're trying to prove a case against someone, it's very difficult. Because mm. when it comes to things when it comes to things like, um, uh, you know, murder and everything else, you know, you've got to prove intention. You know, what is their intention? Mm. So he pleaded guilty to GBH because he's saying it was GBH of intent because he wanted to commit GBH. Yeah. 
and he intended to commit GBH. He didn't want to kill the guy. So, but GBH is still including knife or stabbing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. I, so thought, you got, that, you I got thought that'd be another level. Yeah, no, no, no. So he stabbed him. So he got uh, he got 10 years. He got 10. So he got 10 but for years attempted for murder? He, well, no. He got charged with attempted murder. Yeah. He got 10 years for GBH of intent because right. that's what he pleaded guilty to. Right. So all these guys, you know, you see, it, you see it all the time on like, you know, the TV shows. They plea out sort of thing. Yeah. But it doesn't, over here, what it is, the CPS will look at that and think, okay, well, we'll get him. We'll get, he'll get ten years. Mm. Yeah. Whereas we've we've now got to show some form of intention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was um, it was crazy because I remember watching I remember watching that um, that back on the CCTV uh, about two three days later, and then literally my legs went just sitting there, just legs just went because yeah. I realised, you know, the sort of situation yeah. I was in. Yeah, legs just went, and um, and I remember then we went to, um, and it was actually that it was actually that where we got a commendation from the assistant commissioner for that, and uh, went up to Scotland Yard and took my dad with me, mm. took mum with me, nice, and uh, yeah, and it was the first time my dad looked at. My dad's in tears. Yeah, my dad's in tears. He's listening to he's listening to the, uh, the superintendent reading out what actually happened. My dad's in tears. My mum's looking at him, thinking, "Come on, you know, hold yourself together." Yeah. And like he turned around, it was one time he turned around and said to me, "Yeah, you did good stuff." Yeah, you know. How'd that make you feel? Yeah, it was it was the oh, it was the first time, time I actually felt yeah. he's acknowledged what I do, or he's proud of what you're exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was that was big for me. And what was that then? You just mentioned a word then. I just didn't get it. What was the word you said you got? That was like an award. Yeah, it was a commendation. A, a commendation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what does that so, mean? Well, it's <laughs> it's a recognition, shall we say? Yeah. You know, of an act of bravery. So yeah, so that was for bravery, quick thinking, yeah. and what have you. But you know, at the time, you don't think about that. No, of course, you know just, what I mean. Just cracking on. You're thinking yeah. about staying alive. Yeah. But having dealt with that, that's where you know, I went back. Uh, I went, I went back into uniform for about a year, and then I realised, you know what, I preferred the other side of this. Yeah. And that's when things really changed for me. Yeah. You know. Tell me about that journey when it really changed. So I like, I went onto a vice unit and um, it was uh, in Tottenham itself. Tottenham's got Seven Sisters Road. It's a designated red light area. It's a red light district because of the amount of prostitution on there. So if there are, like, let's say two or three convictions within that area for prostitution, it would then be designated a red light district. Yeah, okay. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the local authority were having loads of complaints coming in. But what people don't realise is people look at it as prostitution. Right, so you might have, you know, you might have your toms or your prostitutes as they are yeah. all out there, but that's not the issue. Yeah. The issue is why are they there? Mm. And then you've got South Tottenham. Mm. South Tottenham is rife with estates. South Tottenham is rife with crack. Yeah, heroin, crack. What people don't get or weren't sort of getting was that prostitution is synonymous with a drug trade. Mm. Yeah, this is what fuels it. These girls out there, every one of them was addicted, either a heroin addict, crack. Okay, everyone has a story. Yeah. You know, we had one that um, that had been out on the street for like twenty years, and I'm, you know, it just surprised you. Some of the stories that yeah. you know you hear. But it was very different for us because the sort of people we were, now, you know, you hear it all the time. You've got uniformed cops that turn up and they'll arrest them straight away. 
With us, it was different. It was about building relationships with these girls. Why? Because these are the girls that are going to take us to the bigger stuff. Yeah. You know, we want to know who your dealers are. Yeah. Who your pimp look, is. Who you, yeah. Look after these people. Yeah. yeah. And then they will come over to you and they will give you that information. And it turned out that we were doing quite well. Mm. You know, these girls are feeding us information. You know, this is before everything changed. Uh, we started getting like dedicated source units coming in because there's like certain changes in law. But before that, we will get information coming in and literally we will action that. We were taking massive amounts of drugs off the streets. Mm. And then what happened was that was sort of recognized and a couple of us were sort of pinched, should we say from there. and went up on uh, sort of the drugs sort of unit. And uh, it was then really that, you know, the way I worked as a cop changed, mm. you know, gone are the, right, it was the old gung-ho, let's proactive sort of, now we have to start thinking. Yeah, okay. You need to start thinking now. Yeah, you've gone to a whole new level now, now. Yeah. yeah, all right, you can nick that guy, you yeah. can nick this guy, but now you need to think. When you nick that guy, that guy needs to cut a court. Yeah. You need to build a case against this person. So you need to think about what you need, yeah? So the drug squad, when I went to the, that sort of, that unit there, there was four of us. There's only four of us, mm. okay? But they wrote a book about it uh, called Crackhouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, I think his name was um, Kebble, I think he's Yeah, it was, Kebble, yeah. 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 I think he was a DS, but I remember my boss come in, he goes, they're writing a book about us sort of thing, and do you want to sort of, you know, he's going to put my name in it. And I remember we just turned around and went, nah, mm. don't want our name on it. I was on that, I was on that unit for three years. Imagine I would have been burnt straight away yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But even when you read the synopsis on that book, it just says one thing, you know, we were there to target. And it was, it. what people, people don't get it. People just will never get what we were dealing with every day. When I got up in the morning at five o'clock, you know, my kids, I look at my kids. I don't know if I'm coming back home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. These are the sort of people that I was dealing with. Mm. You know, these, like, you're kicking doors in. Mm. You don't know who's on the other side of that door. Yeah? You don't know if somebody's going to start spraying you. Yeah? With bullets. Do you know what I mean? You just don't know. And it got to that point where, you know, it just became the norm. You kiss your kids goodbye, thinking, am I going to come home? Yeah. But yeah, it's just. Um, what was that feeling like knowing you're going into a crack house? What were you carrying on you knowing that you're going to a crack house, trying to close it down? Nothing. It was just. I had my vest. I had my asp. Asp. That was my uh, my bat. You cut your cosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was it, really. But again, you know, for us, it's about going there, securing it, securing it. Now, when I first went up there. The, I remember the DCI at the time come up to me and he said, look, he goes, there's some new legislation come out and I think we'll be able to try and close these places down. I'm going to try and close as many down as possible. So I started looking at it and what have you. And this is where I said things changed for me. We started thinking outside the box a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So now we've got, you know, on this squad that we've got, there's four of us. What we're dealing with, we're dealing with dealers. Yeah. We're dealing with crack houses. Yeah, you've got... You've got people who live in that area whose lives are an absolute misery. Yeah, they're constantly calling the council. 
you know, needles, you know, imagine your kids walking through, yeah, going into in a, a, yeah, 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 and there's needles everywhere, you know, little Martel bottles we're using as crack pipes everywhere, you know, and then at the same time, we've got Intel coming in, saying that this stuff coming over from South America, you know, we were dealing with all of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you break it down, we were going to an address and once we go in there, we secure it and we just, and I uh, then came to me, right, let's gather evidence against these people. Let's take pictures. Let's video the whole thing. And then we'll take statements off the, um, uh, all the neighbors. Mm. They're the ones that are complaining. I could say what I want. Yeah. But who, who, who what do the judges want? Yeah. What do the judge want? Yeah. The judge wants to hear what, how the it's affecting the people. Yeah. Yeah. So then I sort of put this, you know, we started working off, uh, off, off this legislation and ended up developing this protocol. Do you know what I mean? We ended up sort of training other other police uh, units across the uh, thing. And in all, at the end of it, I think I closed down close in the region about 88 crack houses. Just in yeah. North London? Just in Tottenham. Just in Tottenham? Well, in Haringey. Haringey. Yeah, yeah. So I closed, I closed all them down. You know, I remember going in and uh, I lost one case. One case I lost. But I went back and got it mm. because he carried on. So I was able to get the evidence against them, mm. go back in. But then I learned from that. I learned how the defense work, yeah? How the lawyers work. Yeah. Try to think like them, do you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it was just a case of, you know, trying to, uh, trying to get that, trying to get that down to a T. You know, the judge called me into his chambers, just said, what you're doing for these people is amazing. Yeah. You know? Because, quality of life was rubbish yeah we literally reduced crime in the space of about 16 months by about 30 35 percent yeah that's huge that's amazing yeah yeah fair play but not only that again i said you you're know, improving everyone else's lives around there but it's not just them yeah it's not just them you know we're talking about these guys that are there these these guys that ain't dealers look everyone everyone's got issues yeah yeah these crack users they're human beings as yeah. well so what we did was we developed a program for them, and we just we were just very open and honest with them. Look, we're going to close you. We're going to close your address down. If you go and get clean, use this program here, mm. NHS. We were in with the NHS and everything. Mm. We will send them out to get clean. You come back and demonstrate that you're clean. You get your house back. You can't have any more incentive yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. That was our incentive. And that's hard them. when you look at someone who needs to go cold turkey on crack. That's not an easy. That's not an easy. Oh, feat. absolutely not. Mm. But that wasn't it, you know. We're talking about crack was rife. Crack was rife around Tottenham. Yeah, you know, every everybody you stopped had a crack pipe in their in their pocket. What's the difference between cocaine and crack? Crack's bit right. Cocaine, you get cocaine comes in powdered format. Yeah, yeah. Crack's cooked up. Yeah, it comes into like a rock format. Right. Yeah. And to be honest with you, everything that comes over, you know, we was looking at this and you know, just looking at where it was coming from. Mm. There were no heroin, right? Heroin was coming over from the West. Yeah. No, sorry, it's from the East. The East. Yeah. Well, Afghan and stuff. Afghanistan. Yeah. We had Afghanistan. It was going through Afghanistan, Pakistan, over to Turkey, over on the um, uh, over the ground. You know, yeah. it wasn't coming over on the yeah. on the uh, on the planes. Yeah. It was coming in lorries. Yeah. Yeah. They can get it they can get it too through Europe. They can get uh, heroin over. And then the Americans went in. Started burning all the poppy fields in Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. That killed it. The Taliban were suddenly now 
thinking, okay, we're losing a lot. We're losing a lot here mm. because the Americans are coming now and they've killed their poppy fields. Yeah. So we found crack was coming, coming into it more and more. So we had a lot more stuff coming in from South America. You know, we'll give you one example. We got a, we get a call saying there's um uh there's a load of stuff coming in from um uh it was Colombia. Yeah. And it was all it was coming in to Coventry Airport. So we spoke to the airport, they had actually identified the actual the package itself and it was cream. So you opened up the cream. So you got the cream, it looks like cream, mm. and then you clip open the top and underneath it was cakes of pure cocaine. Yeah. Now think about pure cocaine, okay? If you are out on the street and you buy a wrap or two, mm. how much cocaine do you think is in that? 20% less. You're looking at five to 6%. Right, okay. 20% is gonna kill you. Yeah, yeah? okay. But there was like literally there's five or six percent cocaine. So it's been chopped. The rest of it's chopped up so yeah. many times. Yeah. This is why it's such big business. Yeah. So we were we had, you know, between thirty five and forty grand, you had dealers paying thirty between thirty five, forty grand, they bring it over, yeah. they cut it up four or five times, mm. they then sell it they now that's now four times the yeah. money that they're making on that. Mm. Yeah. Or cut it eight times, or with you know, you've got binding agents like Benzocaine. Yeah. Yeah. So they mix it with that. You've now got eight kilos. And suddenly, by the time it hits the street, there is about five or six percent. Yeah. Because anything over that, it's gonna you, you OD, mm. you die. Mm. Yeah. But you know, that's the sort of that's the sort of stuff that we had going on. But did you find at the age you were at, because we're talking what this must be late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, I was now. like mid twenties. Yeah, okay. But the, you know, cocaine is rife in this country right now and around the world, right? But back then, it must have been a whole new wave of cocaine coming through right then. Do you, remember, it, do you remember when it really kicked off coming into this country? See, I'll only speak because, look, when I was, when I was in Hackney, there was still a load of cocaine out. But cocaine was for rich people. That's right. Rock stars and DJs and footballers, whatever it was. Yeah. 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 It wasn't for yeah. your average show. Pod. Yeah. 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 You, don't see, you don't see, you know, your man living on an estate doing a line. Yeah. It just yeah, it didn't happen. It weren't happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all crack. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was all crack. It's right. crack. Yeah, this is crack. This yeah. is not. This is not people going off buying a load of uh, you know buying a load of uh, white and yeah. uh, you know going into the toilets in um, in like Ministry of Sand or yeah. something and just literally rolling up a ten pound yeah. note. This is different. This is them now putting it onto a you know putting it onto a, uh, onto a bit of wire yeah. uh, wire mesh and smoking it. You know, literally burning it and smoking it. Yeah, and that's what it is. And it was cheaper for them. Wow. You know, you're still, you know, again, it's it's different now because I think look at cocaine, cocaine is there's a lot more yeah. lot more users of cocaine now mm. compared to what it would have been back mm. then. Builders, doctors, everyone. Nurses. You name it. Lawyers. You name it. You name it. Sports person. It's everywhere. Absolutely. There's not many people who I don't know who don't take it. Compared to you know, years ago, but there's not many people you knew who did take it. Yeah, the thing is, every you know, years ago, you know, you would think of it was more of a, a thing that you probably find in in the city. Yeah, that's right, city boys. Yeah, mm. the city boys are all on it. Yeah, you know, you see that after after a night out, you know, you might stop someone because they've had a bit of a fight and they've got yeah they've got a rap or two on them. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's what it was like. Yeah, nowadays it's rife. Yeah, it's everywhere. Students. Yeah, everyone. Madness, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. And it is. It's just, it's it's one of them things now where, you know, 
it's it's an endemic, mate. It's yeah. just everywhere. Yeah. You know, the problem they're having at this moment in time is fent. Yeah. It's stuff being laced with fent from fent? fentanyl. What's that? Yeah. And that is well it's a very, very strong, shall we say, medication. Yeah. Yeah. Very addictive. Very similar to, you know, it's diazepam, things like that. Yeah. You know. But fentanyl is a lot more stronger, it's mm. a lot more potent. But what they're doing is they, if they're mixing it up with things like cocaine or, or you know, other other drugs, mm. you're getting batches there now that are laced with something else. And that's really dangerous. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, you do get, um, you get, it's, it's quite rife in America. Yeah. And it's happening down here now. Mm. You know, people are, there's more and more you hear of, uh, you hear of bad batches that are coming through. Mm. But again, like I said, we were, we were literally racing up to the airports. We were taking, we were taking large amounts, bringing them back, and then having to wait for the assistant commissioner to give us permission to take that out and replace it with um, with normal flour or sugar. Right. So we have to film everything. Right. You've got to be very, very careful. Mm. What was key for you? What was key for you? Is you key to find the the big player at the top? And would you know that if there were dealers out there, would you let them go? Would you let them go, or would you get them to grass? Would you work on them to grass up to then get to the big time? Right. So the thing is, is that there was one time I stopped a guy. He had like he had loads of cash on him. Knew he was up to something. He had a little. He had a little bit of gear on him, but he worked for the Adams. Now he ain't gonna. He ain't gonna grass them up, is he? Mm. He ain't gonna go in there. With, he ain't gonna give us any information. Mm. So it's just a case of building a case against that guy. Mm. You're never gonna get someone like that grass up. Mm. The guys at the top, mm. you know. So yeah, when you know, it's not like America where you know you wire people up doesn't work like that. Mm. Yeah. The other thing is you've got to be very careful because then in this country we've got something where co-defendants can't uh, give evidence against co-defendants. Do you see what I mean? So it's very very difficult. Say that again. Co-defendants, co-defendants can't give co-defendants evidence against another co-defendant. Yeah. It's not seen as you know because it's like. It's somebody saying, oh, I didn't do it, he did it. Yeah, tucking him up, yeah. Exactly, just yeah. trying to get off it yourself. Yeah. You know, it's but like, as a copper, though, surely you'd pull him aside and say, well, I don't know, because I've never, I've never been down this route, but if you pull him aside and say, hold on a minute, if you give us that information, you're going to get a lesser sentence. Right, so there was a different way of doing it. The only... So we used to... I'll, let me jump forward, it was, it was on the robbery squad we used to do that. Mm. Yeah, but it was on a drug squad. It was different because what we had to do was deal with informants. Yeah. So informants were, they were regulated now. You know, you didn't have that snout. You didn't have that. You didn't have that guy that's going to turn around and say, All right, um, you know, you speak to him and say, right, like, give us a bit of intel on this guy. No. Now you had to have them registered. Yeah. There's new laws that you had to go by. You know what I mean? You've had to, you know, they've got to be given pseudonyms and, you know what I mean? Everything's got to be tested. You've got to be, they've got to be handled by two people. Yeah, so the whole thing changed. Yeah. While you were there, did you notice yeah, what changed? Yeah, okay. so all of this started changing. So you couldn't go to someone and say, give us, a, give us the heads up on no, that. That's it. So every time, if I knew that there was someone there, we had to then take him over or give his name or her name, especially with the girls on the vice vice yeah. teams, we had to give their names to our um, our, 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 source, our source guys. Yeah. And they would then have to sort of work with them. And go and, through a process. And to... they will go through the process and we won't have any more dealings with that person. Okay. Do you see what I mean? So... Yeah, it was like that. And, you know, we'll get info coming in. And we were we had a really good relationship with our with our guys in the Intel unit. 
and they'll be feeding it through to us. It's all it's all uh, it's all through informants, mm. you know, because they get a decent pack, they get a decent bit of money out of that. Mm. What the informant? Yeah, from the old bill. Yeah, is that right? Absolutely. Wow, didn't know that. So if they, yeah, yeah. So you know, they'll give information. If it led to a conviction, they'll get a decent amount. Some of, people live off that. What sort of what sort of wedge would they be getting? Roughly, well, it, depends, it depends on what you got. You know, if you're talking tens of thousands. Yeah, talk, you can be. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can be. Oh God. Depending on how much, how much we get out of it. If we, you know, if you're taking out somebody mm. who's literally um, pillaging the streets of Tottenham or or Haringey with, you know, let's say hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of uh, of drugs, then that guy is going to get a small slice of that. Yeah, because it's down to him. That we've got him. Mm. But the beauty of it all was, was that this guy was an informant. Yeah. We couldn't give these name out to anyone. Why? Because if you give his name out to someone, he's going to get, he'll be slick, he'd be slick with the fishes, as yeah. I say, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was it. Mm. So they'll get payment for it as well. But again, you know, just working on that, it was more about, you know, for us, yeah, all right, we want to take these guys off the street. I didn't, uh, I didn't join the police to go and lick someone with a bag of weed. Yeah. That's not me. Mm. Yeah. You want to you want to actually go and target people that really hurt people. Yeah, you know your rapists, you know the kids that hurt children, uh, guys that hurt children. Mm. You know you're also looking at these guys here, class A drugs, massive. You know for us that's the sort of stuff people are ODing on. Yeah, you know, you know we we would come across that we would come across that quite a lot. You always get bad batches. Mm. You always get a bad batch. You get you get a dealer that's sells a bad batch and you might get a couple of o ODs. Yeah. Yeah. And that will come back to us because now the pressure's on us to find out where it's come yeah, from. Okay. Yeah. So that's where we would actually speak to you know, try and get, you know, uh, information in that way. But yeah, I did that for like, you know, literally about th three years we was there. And then Did uh, you enjoy that part? Loved it. Did you? Loved it. Okay. You know, my boy was born. My boy was born. I it was like happening you know, like happened yesterday. But yeah. my son, uh we hit an address in South Tottenham. Mm. That morning, uh, my ex-wife at the time said to me, "Oh, like she was wasn't feeling great and whatever, and she's having a few pains." I said to her, "You know what? We were at the hospital last week. It's probably Braxton Hicks." So there's me going to work. So at six o'clock, three, two, one, uh, bang, bang at the front. Uh, I was at the back. So I remember jumping over, knowing there was people going to be coming around the back. Yeah, you know, and it was gear there was loads of gear at the place mm. so they've come running out the back door i've jumped on them and it was it was literally handcuffing them as quickly as possible to a um to a pole mm. in the middle of the um <laughs> in the middle of the garden yeah and i looked over to my boss and he turned around he goes do you need another hand is it handcuffs he goes i go to him you're coming over mm. he goes i've got a new jacket on he's got a new jacket on i was you, you for real he goes you got this it's cool yeah and then my phone rings and it was uh, it was my ex-wife, and she's she's phoned me. I said, oh, I think I'm in labour. I goes, no, nah, no, nah, it's probably Braxton Hicks. And I've got these guys here shaking my hand, going, oh, congratulations, officer. <laughs> and I was like, settle down, I'm on the phone, you know what I mean? And he's like, they're maybe you should just let us go. You ain't getting anywhere, <laughs> mate. Well, anyway, so we've taken them off. They've all been arrested. We've got some gear. Uh, and get back to, uh, to the police station. And my boss says, look, go. Your missus having a baby, I guess it's probably nothing. So uh literally went out into the back backyard, just about to walk out, and then one of the other uh one of the other sergeants said, Oh, great job today, come in by your cup of tea. 
I said, all right, fine. You know, I'll have a cup of tea with him. Again, in my head, you know, she's still got two weeks to go. Yeah. So I went and had a cup of tea. And then I drove home. When I get home, our waters are broken. Mm. So I had to rush her to the hospital. Mm. And uh, within about 15 minutes, my little one was born. Mm. You know, and those sort of things, they they sort of stick. Yeah. But then you still remember what you were doing that day. Yeah. But do you not think that your job was overtaking your mind? Yeah. It, yeah. It still does. Yeah. Okay. I am, I've been out of that role for seven years. Yeah. I still wake up in the middle of the night. Some of the stuff that, you know, you see. So when you're banging the mix, right, in Tottenham, nicking people, taking down crack houses, getting dealers, da, da, da. You're not laying at night, laying in your bed, looking up the ceiling, going, fuck me, I could be next. To be to be honest, no. Never thought like that. Okay. Yeah. But there was one time where um, I remember being at court. Now, I'd just gone onto the robbery squad. So I just decided, because I'd just done my science exams for promotion. So I passed them and uh, I thought to myself, right, I can go back and be a uniform sergeant or I can go down the detective route. You know, and there's more opportunities as a detective than it would be as a uniform sergeant. Okay. So what am I going to do? As a uniform sergeant, I can go on, sit on a bus with seven or eight other blokes, you know, on a rowdy bus. Or I can go and get a gun, go and stay in the airports, or become an armed response officer as a detective while to, re while to my oyster. Mm. So I had to think about it, and then I decided to do the detective's exams. So I did the detective's exams, uh, went on to the robbery squad, and again, loved it. But it was then that I went to court, and I met a guy at court who I'd known. Obviously, people sort of get to know you yeah. when when you've been when you've been in one place yeah. for so long yeah, and you're always out there people get mm. to know your face mm. people get to know who you are they get to know your name mm. you know i walked across the road one day and uh one guy turned around and said to me mr madahar how you doing oh is you all right mate i'm not going to name any mm. names but he goes all right he goes yeah, yeah he goes um because i took your advice because i went to uni that's fantastic he now produces music for uh, a rapper yeah yeah because it's not, you know, but that's what it's about. It's about trying to educate these lads. Yeah. It's not about your odd rock here and there, selling mm. the odd rock here mm. and there on the state. Mm. It's about looking at the bigger picture. And this is what happened when I was at court. I was sitting at court and this guy came and sat next to me. What were you in court for? No, no. I was obviously no, there. One of my you were cases. There. One of the cases. One of my that? cases. One of my cases was there. It was a it was a robbery case. And um this lad, he came over and you know, we always have a little bit of banter because mm. I've known him since he was like 11, 12 years old. He was always a little wrong. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's just one of them kids who just yeah. knew. Popping that. up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's obviously, we know, you know, we know what, what he's been up to. Okay. So with us, people tell us we know stuff, mm. you know, and this guy comes and sits next to me and he goes to me, you know what? He goes, you know what, officer? I goes, what's up, mate? And he goes, you better watch your back. I goes, why? He goes, because a lot of people are unhappy with what you've been doing. And what have been doing? He goes, you're taking out a few sort of people. He goes, um, he goes, yeah, you better watch your back. I goes, do you know what, mate? I goes, I think you better watch your back, mm. yeah? Because, you know, the likelihood is the sort of life that you're living, mm. you're probably going to be in trouble before I am. Yeah. And it's weird that happens because a week later, the guy was driving down, uh, Tottenham Irish, uh, no, it was a roundway in Tottenham, just off the, it was just by the A10. Yeah. Um, and uh, a um, 
A motorbike pulls up beside him, sprays his car, kills him. You know? But this is... And you're just thinking there and there's, that's another one gone. Yeah. But he gets replaced. Yeah. That's it, you know? But yeah, that's uh, that's what it was. Um, so going back then, was there any other times when you feared for your life that you knew someone was on your case? No. Never. Never feared, like... Probably because I didn't get so deep into into people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The bigger picture rather than okay. Yeah. So what I will I was never in that place where I actually actually feared for my life. And the other reason was I was it's weird to say this, but I always got on really well with them. Yeah. Yeah. Why is I don't know. I the way I look at it is I grew up around the same sort of yeah. same sort of stuff. I grew up around the same sort of areas. Yeah. You know, I could sort of relate to people. Mm. And I think that's why I found it really easy talking to them. Yeah. You know, the only difference was, was when the shit hit the fan, we'll be running towards the shit yeah. and people were running away from it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, I get where they were coming from. I understand that, you know, circumstances, etc. for some of them, like the girls on the, on the vice squad. Yeah. It was like that, you know? So yeah, just literally started, it was there, and you got to be, you got to be, you got to be fair to people. Yeah, you, you sound like you sound, you sound like a fair fella. Like if there's a problem, you you talk them through it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then say, this is the reasons why. Da, 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 da. And I think it's the only on their wavelength. Oh, yeah. Even though they're looking at you, going, I don't like you. <laughs> but, but that's it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you know, I could sit there. Mm. Somebody could be shouting at me. I then start shouting at them. They'll get louder. I'm going to have to get louder. Mm. So I stood there and just reacted sort of calmly to them. Yeah. Eventually. Brings everything down. They will bring themselves down. Yeah. What was your route like then? You went in to become a detective. You said you were allowed to carry. You're allowed to carry a gun with you. No, no, no. I didn't. No. Never carried a gun. You never carried a gun. No, no, no. Never okay. carried a gun. Never carried okay. a gun. Um, you I, mentioned a gun earlier. Or was that? No, that was the armed response. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that was okay. one. You know, could have actually gone in certain ways okay. and what have you. But yeah, so I became a detective. So I've worked across the robbery, burglary, violent crime, you name it. I've, you know, I've worked across all those units. I've dealt with some real, real horrible people. And I remember, you know, I was night duty. I was, you know, no one liked doing night duty. It's the thing is like, I love doing night duty. It was like, and that's when everything happened. So we get a call to Finsbury Park. It's like, We've now got an axe murderer in Finsbury Park. So I go over there and literally, as I'm standing there, you can see it. it's like a scene out of a horror film. So the mist has just started setting in. So me and um, our other detective, his name's Tommy. Tommy was there. So me and Tommy are there and he's a Geordie fella. And he's like, look, he's looking at me and he's like, fucking hell, mate. He goes, uh, we're going to have to call the whole, the whole park off. So we're going to have to stop everyone coming in. And as he says that, and obviously the guy's just been cut off to hospital. He's he's been attacked with an axe, and we've still got parts of his head is still on the ground. And then I look into the distance, and have you ever seen that film? I know what you did last summer. Mm. Yellow anorak, mm. raincoat, guys walking over towards us with an axe in his hand, and he's dragging it along. And I turn around and looked at him and went, "Is that a joke? Yeah. Is this guy generally?" But the guy had come back and he'd come back, I think. I don't know if he'd come back to finish the job off. Don't know why he came back. But this was it, you know, and this is 
this is sort of stuff people don't hear about. Mm. Yeah. I could, you know, I went to work, let's say seven days on night duty, seven days, something bad happened. Yeah. How many times did it make the paper? Never. How many times did it stick into my head? It's ingrained in there. Yeah. It's like my DNA now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's the sort of stuff sometimes where, you know, when you make that journey, you know what you're getting, you know, you know what you're seeing, but there's never that, there was never, with us, we 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 were men, you know. It was never going to be a case of I only gone see someone or anything like that. Yeah. It was just a case. And was of that the just, era then? Because now we're yeah. talking about mental health. You've got to go and see someone PTSD. Have you dealt with anything like that since you left the old bill? Yeah. So you know, for me, it's you know some of the stuff that I've seen. You can only dream of. Do you know what I mean? I literally, I've had it where. I've woken up in the middle of the night. You know, you see stuff. Like I said to you before, when you've got kids dying in your arm, people dying in your arms, you know, you're trying to keep people alive, try to blow into a guy with a hole in his head. Mm. You know, that's not just one off. That's happened so much. Mm. Do you see what I mean? But then there's other fu there's other funny stories that go with it yeah, as well, that okay. sort of balance it yeah. out. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So in a weird sort of way. It is, yeah. it is. It's like, it's dark. Yeah. It is dark. But, you know, the way at that time we used to deal with it was humor and it weren't humor towards people mm. it was humor towards each other mm. you know and it was with the police so when i left in i left in 2014 2015 mm. 2015 i left and i lost my dad in 2016 and that's the hardest thing i've had to deal with yeah yeah losing my dad because yeah. he was my best mate yeah so i literally i come out of there and having lost my dad, now that was very sudden. And I just could not sort of, I couldn't comprehend what had actually happened, why he's gone. I couldn't deal with it. And then eventually I was convinced to go and see a bereavement counsellor. So having spoken to the bereavement counsellor, she turned around and, you know, I remember her talking to me and it was the old, I had a brick wall. There was a massive wall. Yeah. And then she started chipping away, she started chipping away. And then I remember the tears started flowing and what have you, you know. And then she just turned around and said to me, she goes, throughout your life, you've had a switch. It's like a kill switch in your head, yeah? Every time you've walked into something, you've turned it off. Mm. You've turned that emotional attachment mm. to anyone there, you've turned it off. And that's why you've been able to do that. Mm. And, that and you've probably done that with your dad. Yeah. And then she turned it back on. And Jesus Christ, yeah. it's just, it's, it's you know, it is, mm. it's, it's horrendous. Mm. You know, I read, you know, people won't admit it, but I've read on Facebook. I, you know, I'm part of a few groups. Mm. When I saw on Facebook a few weeks ago, somebody goes, does anyone else have this sort of issue? And it was loads of people yeah. that turned around and said, yeah, well, actually I do. Yeah. And I do, you know, and I was like, I do it. Mm. But we try and deal with that and try and get on with it. Mm. What people don't realize is that, when you're in, let's say, the armed forces, you come back, they call it PTSD. Yeah. Different levels, isn't there? Yeah. Mm. You know, we don't see the sort of, the sort of stuff like, you know, some of these guys that are around the front line there, see, mm. you know. I've had a number of them on the podcast. It's so, harrowing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, you know, you get that. But there's no decompression. So no. like for you, there's no decompression. No. Decompression, you're in war one day, mm. killing people. I've had them on here, SAS and SBS people. Yeah, yeah. 
next day they're flown straight back in. They're walking around Sainsbury's buying baked beans and bacon. Yeah, absolutely. With no decompression. Yeah. They've got to play mind games. Yeah, yeah. And again... Were for- you around? Were you around in that... Or in 95, you're seeing it on Sky at the moment about the Essex murders. What were you, As a detective and one of the best detectives and you're very well respected across the country, I know that. As a detective, would you have... You've been reading something, have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, as a detective, what would you have done in that situation with the Essex murders? And do you feel that those two people committed the crime? See, that is well before my time. It was, okay. you know, something that 95. I... I Yeah, I, I didn't deal with anything like that. Uh, but again, you know, you look at... As, as an investigator, right, because that's what I do, mm. yeah? I look at stuff and as a detective sergeant, when I was promoted, I had to review cases and I'll be looking at those cases and try and figure out where there may be anomalies, where you need to, you know, where you might actually, anything that you might have that might undermine your case, Mm. yeah? But having looked at that case, you know, and watched the documentaries, you know, over the years Mm. and what have you, I I think, you know, I haven't seen the. I think there's something on Sky at the moment, yeah, isn't there? I haven't yeah. seen it. It's a three-part series at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen that. Yeah. But, but from my understanding, is they prosecuted off one particular witness. I find it very difficult in this day and age to sort of think that the CPS will run with one one person's word against the others. If you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, um, especially someone that's actually involved at the sort of level. I believe the guy was maybe a, he was either, I think he might have actually been a driver of some sort. Mm. Yeah. So I find it difficult because if, you know, if I had reviewed that, I probably would have looked for other evidence against them. But look, you know, I can't comment on that because I've not, I haven't had, I, I haven't had eyeball on what the investigation was, mm. or I don't know what's actually happened, so I can't really say because obviously they would have had other evidence yeah. against these guys, so they might have had, you know, phone stuff and whatever. Because still, um, mobile phones, yeah, it's yeah. mobile phones, yeah, yeah there was, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's difficult for me to actually turn around and say. Yeah, uh, this has happened, that's happened, because I don't know the case. Mm. I don't know what's actually happened. So it'd be wrong for me to comment. However, again, it's something that, you know, if they felt they had the evidence, things changed after that. Because mm. I sus- they, what happened, was that 95? Was it 95? 95, yeah. Right, so were they not convicted around 97, mm. 98? Mm. Is that right? Yeah, well, law change. There's changes in um, in the way things were actually disclosed then. So now I do that now. Is that I pass on my knowledge. That's you know that's my job now. I pass on my knowledge uh, to investigators. Yeah. I train investigators now, mm. and that's the way I do it. Mm. And you know the biggest thing here is having a look at stuff like you know things like disclosure. How is this going to undermine your case? Yeah. I, I can't comment on that. Uh, other than, other than you know. In but when this, you look in, in though, age, when you look in as one of the very best, and your mates who have been the very best in the police force, do you look in and see that that may not be they done it the right way? 
again, I don't know. Okay. Because that's not something that you had privy to. I've, yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, again, it's, you know, people say it to me. I read it in, you know, I read it in there. Uh, but it's something I just can't okay. comment on. Okay. I can't. I can't turn around and say X, Y, and Z would have done it or, you know, yeah, it's... Because this story's been floating around now for 28 years, years, years. 30 years, coming up to, yeah, coming up to 30 years and everyone's got their own stories and what's happening, what have you. Um, why did you leave the old bill? I stopped believing in it. So, basically, at 18 years in, I had 12 to do. Uh, they changed my pension. So rather than the 12, I would have had 24 to do. I was going through personal sort of uh, issues myself with my health. So I had actually, um, actually got really sick and I'd gone down to about eight stone and they thought I had bowel cancer. And it was just then that you sort of reflect and that's what I did. Um, turns out that I was a celiac and it's the same sort of... Um, uh, the same uh, sort of, uh, what you may call it, uh, symptoms. But yeah, it's, I just really focused on what was happening really. And I sort of, I'm a chess player. I looked, mm. ten, I looked 10 moves ahead yeah. and I looked at the job and I saw stuff and I thought, look, 10 moves ahead. And I thought, this is going to go, this is not going to go away that I mm. want it to go. Mm. You know, my, my boss at the time turned around and said to me, he goes, look, because I would act in the uh, the detective inspector role. And he turned around and said to me, he goes, so he goes you do an exam? I went, yeah, because I was looking for a promotion then. Mm. Go, DI. And he goes, I wouldn't do it here. They wouldn't support you at Edmonton. I said, why? He goes, because you don't say yes to them. And that was, that was on it. He was being honest yeah. with me. Yeah. People, and I saw this, you know, I was asked to go off and do stuff by... DCI's there, detective chief inspectors there that have had like seven, eight years in, who have no idea what it's like being out, on, out in the real world. Mm. And then having to explain to them that, you know what, we can't do that because one, it's not ethical, mm. yeah? And two, just because you want your figures, yeah, doesn't mean we ain't breaching yeah. certain human rights. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I could see that happening and I could see it more and more with the sort of people that were coming in. Mm. You know, and you look at you look at the Met itself. There was n there is no other police force in this world that I will turn around and say beats the Met. Really? Okay, from when I was there. Okay, yeah, fantastic place. I loved it. I lived my dream there. You know, I did eighteen years. I had a great time. Mm. Okay, I made friends for life. But I look at the state of the Met now. Yeah, very different. And it's all based around the fact that, and I, you know, I, it's not the Met's fault. I personally blame more the government mm. in this because we have issues. So they have people on the streets turn around saying, well, we need more police officers. Mm. Well, we're, you know, crime's gone up. So we need more cops. But you've just got rid of all those cops because you're trying to save money. Yeah. So what do we do? We try and get as many cops as quickly as possible. As Boris said, we're going to get 20,000, 10,000, 20,000 extra cops. Where are you going to get them from? Yeah. So those people that weren't good enough five, 10 years ago, they're suddenly good enough now. Yeah. Yeah. 
you've got people coming in that should never have been in the job. Mm. You see it in the news now. How many people have been investigated? Yeah, how many people have been investigated? I do a lot of training. You know, my company now, it's all based around training. I train investigators. Yeah, and it's from everything. Evidence gathering. I've been out to Jamaica. I was out in Jamaica a year and a half ago. Trained up their major organised crime and anti-corruption teams. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But again, I get out there and it's all about training them the right way. Yeah. Teaching them how to do it properly. You don't teach them how to do it properly. These days, it seems to be that they get given a book, yeah. read that, and then go out and police yeah. the streets. Yeah. And it was never like that when I joined. Have you ever come across bent coppers in your time? Bent coppers? I would say that I've come across people that have done wrong things. Uh, and when you say bent coppers, I suspect you're talking about people on the take. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Not on the take. <clears throat> but I've come across people that have done stupid things and end up getting arrested for it. Example? Uh, stealing uniform. Stupidity yeah. stuff. Um, arm robbery. What, a copper doing arm robbery? Yep. Is that right? Yep. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, was, uh, what year is this? Roughly. This is, this is probably around 2005, 2006, I think it was. And I think the guy just had uh, a really bad cocaine issue. So uh, he ended up going into a, uh, a bookies without a mask on, got captured on CCTV. And then obviously what happens is they put that image around all the police stations. And obviously he worked at my police station. So yeah, you would think you talk about- That's ballsy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was that, yeah, so- What did he get for that? Did I he get not. more, would he have got more than the normal bod? Probably, yeah. But because they obviously look at sending the message out, yeah. don't they? Yeah. And the fact that, look, you're supposed to be upholding the law, mate. Yeah. You know, and that's effectively what, uh, what the issue was there. But yeah, you know, when it comes to, when you're talking about corruption and that sort of level, mm. no, I, and I'm being genuinely honest here. Okay. I have not come across that. You read about it. Yeah. But listen, I, it's just like every organization. You could you can go and work at, you know, one of the uh, the big five yeah. or the big four. Yeah. They've got thousands and thousands of people. Mm. You're always going to get one or two people that mm. are bad. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same as the Met. You know, these guys here go out, they try and do a job. Listen. I said to you before, I have never faced anything mm. since, you know, when I was in the police. But then I moved out of London and I moved to Hertfordshire and it's been the total opposite. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's been the total opposite. Mm. I turn around and I'm just thinking to myself, I sort of get what public talking about now. Yeah. I've had to call the police and I've had to say to them in Hertfordshire, would you come out if I phoned up again and said my name was Dave Smith? Mm. And in silence. I've got somebody going crazy, yeah? Trying to break in. Nothing. Why? Because of your surname? I've got no idea. No, okay. But let's put it this way. When you've made 10 calls mm. and they haven't turned up or they've told you to phone your local council and mm. what have you, mm. and I'm telling them, look, I've got video of who's actually done it. This guy is here now. I Sometimes I have to work away. I've got my family at home. Yeah. You know, I've got my wife, I've got my kids mm. and whatever. And it's very, very difficult. But yeah, when I was in London, never had that issue. Mm. I, I drive down the street now 
And every time I drive past a cop car, I seem to like literally rub a neck. I got stopped in um, in Cheshunt. I'm driving down the road, but I've got my kid in the car. I got a suit on. And I see the guy turn around, look at me, clocked him. He goes around the corner, and suddenly, within about two minutes, I'm surrounded by three cars. Why? Because a car matching my description, he says to me, is a car matching your description. And that's what they can use. And I turn around and said, you giving me the car matching the description. You're giving me yeah. that line. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, you know, it is just the most ridiculous line that you can use. Yeah. So then you turn around and you say, okay, fine. Well, how about that car there? And that car there? Mm. And that car there? Do you see what I mean? Mm. But then they get, you know, you just got to play the game with them. Mm. Yeah. You know, one thing that really, really winds make my blood boil is the grooming gangs, how they seem to get away with everything. Is that because the old Bill aren't putting the evidence through or they don't want the headache? What, what What's going on there? And when you say the grooming gangs, you're talking about the young girls, the, young sec- the exploitation. That's aspect, right. So. Right. Yeah. So when I left the police and I, you know, so I fell into the training aspect, what I did was I also spent two years as the uh, the manager for an, investi- uh, an investigations manager, shall I say, for a child service provider, mm. a private childcare provider, shall I say. And a lot of my investigations were based around kids that had been trafficked or, you know, and what have you. Now, the issue here is either, and I spoke to a couple of cops, is education. Some of them don't know how to deal with stuff. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about the counties. Yeah. Because it's not rife. When you go into London, you go into Birmingham, you go Manchester, Mm. that sort of stuff is quite rife. Mm. <clears throat> it's also whether it comes up. Mm. Now we, you know, it is. It's it's evident now because you get to see it. Um, you know, everybody that goes out, especially for government organisations, they're looking out for exploitation. They're looking out for you know, um, uh, uh, not just the exploitation aspect of it, but the um, uh, uh, the grooming. They're looking for um, uh, uh, what's it called? Oh, God Jesus. Uh, it's just gone completely yeah. blank now. I'm just trying to think of what it mm. was. Um, oh, modern slavery. Modern day slavery, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you've got <clears> all of that, and all of that fits into it. Mm. So you've got exploitation. You've got these kids that are being exploited. You've got human beings being trafficked. Mm. You've got modern slavery. Mm. All of this is quite rife now. Yeah. Okay. And you've got you've got units all over the country. You've got government departments that ain't cops that are, are now getting trained to pick up on that sort But of why stuff. the old bill takes so long to nick these people? Because of evidence. They need evidence to nick people. But it seems to be that one area in this country which is really poorly done. So if you, let's say, I can go, I can go over and nick anyone just because you told me that this person is involved in this. But for me to prosecute that person, I'm going to need the evidence to do so. Okay. Yeah. If I haven't got the evidence, it's very difficult for me to then go in and take that person. You know, what am I going to do? If I haven't got evidence against them, there's ways that I can actually get that, isn't yeah. there? If I then go straight in, I've spooked them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Are they going to get a ground? Mm. Yeah. Are they going to stop their activities? Mm. Am I going to lose everything? Mm. Yeah. Anything they might have on their computers, on their phones, wiped, gone. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So you've just got to be very careful. Okay. So like you said, an hour ago, you've got to be using that. You use your head. Working it out, getting all the evidence, and then going in for the kill, going in to grab them. Absolutely. You've got, 
you know, you've got to be very smart about, you've got to be very, very smart about mm. this. And when I say you've got to be very smart about this, you, you've got, you can't just look at the quick win. You've got to look at the bigger picture. Okay. You've got, to think, outside, time. You've got to think outside the box. Yeah. And that does take time. Yeah. Because what will happen is if there is uh, a case of, let's say somebody being involved in the exploitation of kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to put as much evidence against this person, mm. yeah, to that person, mm. and also to the CPS. Mm. So the prosecutors need to look at it. They need to. What they will do is they will look at a case to see if there's a realistic prospect of a conviction. Mm. Yeah, is there a higher probability here that we're going to convict this person? Because in a criminal case, you know, the burden of proof is beyond reasonable doubt. Mm. Yeah. We've got to be 99.9% sure because you're taking this person's liberties. But there is old Bill out there who have gone against the system, fought against the system, and then been booted out of the police. And they're now the whistleblowers giving evidence of everything that wasn't done in the police while they were there. And people do. And again, a lot of organisations do have that. Mm. You know, I've seen it. I've seen it with the sort do of work that I do now. Do you know yeah. Maggie Oliver? No. No, okay. There's a few people, and John Wedger. Are they from round? No, they're, they're from up north and whatever, but they were pushed out by the police because they were whistleblowing, saying this is not right. Those grooming gangs need to be nicked now because of this, 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 and this. And they're now saying, they've come out and they're open and said, stuff was thrown under the carpet, under the carpet the whole time. And that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, okay. That doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah. Because you've got to remember is... A lot of these, a lot of these um, people, you got to think of the reputation of that organisation. Mm. If you haven't acted when something's come up, it's too late. You're now going to remember, especially when it's the old bill. Yeah, it's gonna, you're going to get dragged through the you're going to get dragged through the media mud. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a media circus out there, and then there'll be some sort of review. Uh, you know, be a review on yeah. what's happened, etc. All of this is all you, all your dirty washing is going to come out, yeah. and that's how it works. You know, but yeah, I listen. When you've got people that are coming out saying this has happened, that's happened, that's happened, with proof, you can't really argue against it. Yeah. You know, I have, like I said, that sort of work I do now. Mm. Yeah, I investigate allegations. It's, a lot of it is in the workplace. Harassment, sexual uh, sexual assaults, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They come to me and say, "Well, you know, somebody's whistleblown because they've made an allegation against this particular person, and their boss has literally swept it under the carpet." Yeah, I've had it. I've had it where you've, I've heard of rapes being uh, brushed under the carpet of yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. Why? It's because it's damaging to that organisation, mm. and they will try and find a way to sort of bury it. Yeah. So what yeah. you're saying is, it's not just the old bill; it's, it's many organisations. From your experience in your new work, I've I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the public sector. Mm. Okay. Now i I found the last seven years, especially, is that to save the reputation of that organisation and for the sake of a bit of mm. money. There is stuff that gets, um, that literally does get, uh, and I'm not talking about the police here. Yeah. There is stuff here that gets um, uh, brushed under the carpet. Mm. There is. And I can I can understand exactly what you're saying. But when it comes to whistleblowing, mm. people can't get sacked because they're whistleblowing because that whistleblowing legislation protects them. 
but they get pressure <coughs> put on them so much that they, they get squeezed, they have to leave. But then there's laws out there for unfair dismissal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's stuff that they have to But they normally out, but get whacked on the pension and go, whack on the pension, shut up, there's your pension for the next 30 years, 20 years or whatever it may be. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, is um, but that's down to the person, isn't it? Like we had this um, not long ago uh, in relation in America where you had um, where you had the defamation case against uh, Fox News. Yeah. And they were saying, we ain't taking the money. We ain't taking the money. We'll, we're, we're making a point. A day later, they've taken the money. Yeah. Money talks. Yeah. That's what happens. It doesn't matter what line of work mm. you're in. Money mm. talks. Mm. And this is why it was very difficult. You know, when we, you, sort of, you do the sort of jobs that we do. Mm. Yeah, you do the sort of jobs that we do, especially when I was in the police. You'll be looked at. You'll be looked at. Why? Because they want to know if you, if you are that fallible person. Are you going to be the person that cracks? Yeah. Is this dealer going to pay you 50 grand to, you know, to look the other way? Mm. Have you got problems like that? And they'll look at that. Do you see what I mean? Mm. They'll do all that sort of, are those checks done now? Mm. I don't know. Do you know anyone who's taken a bung in the old bill? No. And that's and that's honest. Okay. I've never I've never actually come across anyone that's done that. So at the moment then, you've been out for seven years. What is your work today, Suki? So at this moment in time, a lot of my work is based around passing on my own knowledge, really. Yeah. So I train. I train investigators. Uh, a lot of them work for government departments. Uh, I do various different courses for private sector as well. Uh, a lot of problems in the private sector when it comes to HR. Mm. And you've got a lot of allegations that are being made against colleagues, uh, by colleagues, not being dealt with properly. So I've designed, developed courses that go out to, um, to organizations so that they know how to deal with mm. those people whether it's a grievance, whether it's a, um, uh, an allegation made against that particular organisation or the person itself, just how to deal with them. Mm. Because at the end of the day, the problem that I found is people are not dealing with people properly. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the easiest thing is to try and drill into them, drill into them, drill into them, get them out. Yeah. But they need to think like I think. Mm. Well, what happens 10 steps down the line mm. when they're at a tribunal and you're paying out hundreds of thousands of pounds? Yeah dealing with something that should be dealt with them. Yeah. So yeah, so I sort of do a lot of training for private uh, sector organisations uh, when it comes to things like um, interviewing people, uh, evidence gathering, investigation itself in the private sector, and then uh, government departments that are involved in enforcement. Yeah. So you've got government departments that are involved in enforcement, uh, criminal offences, and then I train them in various different uh, subjects, includes things like... Uh, evidence gathering, uh, interviewing, mm. as per the College of Policing. Mm. Um, disclosure, very important, most important uh, sort of thing in the, um, in the criminal justice system. Mm. If you don't complete uh, disclosure properly, you lose your cases. Yeah. But yeah, various different things. Uh, oh. And my, my whole, uh, the business itself is based around that. And I've just literally become accredited uh, as an organization. We are now able to train trainers. Brilliant. So people can come in, uh, they can get qualification off uh, off me, and uh, that makes uh, gives them an opportunity to go off and uh, and train in any. This sounds right up your street, doesn't it? What's that? Training trainers, yeah, yeah. how to do all of this after twenty years of yeah, doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. What's I the name? It. What's the name of the company so people can go and find it if they're listening? It's uh, it's Swift. It's uh, Swift Investigation Management or Swift Edification. Uh, 
edification aspect of it is uh, is my tra- uh, is my training, it's my learning side of things, yeah. and any investigation side of the uh, any investigation processes are uh, uh, on Swift. Uh, it's Swift hyphen im dot com. Actually, it's <laughs> the easiest way to say it, rather than investigation <laughs> management. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's where we're at, and um, yeah, we again we're just there to to help out anyone that needs help really. Suki, I've really, really enjoyed this episode. I've, I'm grateful for you having me. Yeah, no, amazing. I've, uh, I'm actually blown away what you've had to go through and what you've been right in the mix for those 20 years. And I really do appreciate your honesty because I can tell in your eyes these are proper, honest conversations. Yeah, no, it's, uh, just to, to walk my way through it again has been, uh, yeah, it just brings it back, you know. It's been a great, I had a great time. I had a, I've had a great time and uh, a long way it continue, mate. Yeah. You're a gentleman. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming down here. Cheers. Thank you very much. Good man. Good man.